Today, um, we're going to talk about this great topic called forgiveness. Good old forgiveness. It's a good thing that we need to understand and get a grasp on. It's something that if we really get a hold of and you really get it in your soul, it'll do you some good. Um, just understanding forgiveness, what it means to be forgiven um, from God's standpoint. Usually when I've taught on this in the past, I throw in a lot of talking about how we're supposed to give. But today I'm focusing on just receiving the forgiveness of God and what that really means. Um, turning your Bibles to Psalm 103. Let's pray a little bit. Father, I thank you, bless you, and I praise you. You're awesome. You're mighty. You're wonderful. Bless your holy name. Speak to us. Talk to us. And do your thing, Holy Spirit. Do your thing. Do your thing. Be with us. Be in us. Glorify yourself today through your word. Glorify yourself through your word today. Let us understand you, the depths of your riches and your wonder, your glory, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Do your thing, Jesus. Do your thing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103. We're going to go down to verse 8. Let's start at verse 8. You can follow along on the screen. That's going to be King James. Or you can jump on in in whatever version you want on your computers or your handheld Bibles and all that good stuff. But Psalms 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I was a fool. I was a mess. Sometimes I just sit and think about how big of a fool and a mess I was before I met Jesus and realizing just how foolish and how messy I was. Questions pop up in my head like, why do you even love me, God? Why do you care about me? Why do you keep me around? It's like, why haven't I died? Because God has this stuff. He's real. The Bible says way back in Genesis, he told them, you eat the papaya, whatever that thing was. Chew on the mango, pineapple, whatever was growing on that forbidden tree. You eat that, you die. Then Paul tells us later, he says, the wages of sin is death. I'm supposed to be dead from all the foolishness and all the messiness that was me before I knew Christ. And I'm like, dude, why? Why am I still here? Stumbling and fumbling and pooping in my pants. Why am I still here? Because I'm like a constant project of God fixing. You know how y'all got them cars? I hear this all the time when I talk about finances with people. And they were, it's, you got your old bucket. You, you know, you're good old, not so faithful. And it's as, at a certain point in these cars, usually when we get them, you know, cause y'all done went down after the tax refund 
and y'all done went to Second Chance or We Finance or old Chip Ellis or something and picked up something that got half a motor in it. And then after about two, three months, it started tripping, started doing some stuff. Your AC go out because they knew they had a leak. They just put some Freon in it for a minute. It was going to last you about a month to that little baby warranty run out. And then it's like, what's the problem? And then you, you get it fixed because every time you go to the mechanic, it's at least 300. I don't care what you're doing. It's at least 300. Seems like that's the magic number. Like you, you pull your car in, you're at least paying 300. That's like the entry fee, cover charge or something. So you go and you pay that 300. Then a couple months later, you got another 300. A couple months later, it's 500. Now you got a transmission or a motor or something like that. You'd be like, dang, man, they want like 1800. They like want like 2500. And then you reason within yourself and say, I'm tired of putting money in this old car. I'm just tired of putting, not that you don't have the money. It's just I'm tired of putting money in this old car because it ain't worth it. It's just not worth it. Most of the time you got money. And you just don't want to fix it because you just tired of putting money in this old car because you sick of it because it keep acting wrong. It can't get right. Car just can't get right. You don't know what's wrong with it. It's always something. And you be like, all right, it's good. It's good because it's a big one. I go and put that motor in there, then I'm done. Then you got a new brake job. Then you go in and get the brake job. You know, you know, brakes ain't gonna be the big deal. But then they like, nah, what you need to do? We gotta, we gotta put a whole new rotors on there and everything. And they like, man, he got like a $600 brake job. He's like, man, I just spent $2,500 on a motor and, and bump it. You didn't spend all that money on it. Now you just throw it away. I'm glad God don't act like us with cars. <laughs> Cause if he got tired every time he had to fix me, I'd be done. If he was like, I'm tired of putting money in the J Black, I would be so done. If he was like, I'm tired of fixing him with his stupidity and his foolishness and his messiness, I would be totally done. And I'm asking these questions like, why do you even care? Why do you keep driving me? Why do you keep me on this road? Because I ain't, I'm barely serviceable. You know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking. I'm barely serviceable. And obviously, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Obviously, I'm not worthy to be in your family. I'm definitely not worthy for you to be dying on a cross for me and all that stuff. I ain't built like that. You know what I'm saying? I'm nobody special. But then I start thinking of this stuff. Because I'm the last person you should call your own. I'm the last person that should be in your family. But. You chose to make me here. You chose to make me a partaker of the divine nature. And I say, why? Why are you doing this? And then I realize when I look at this, Psalms 103, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. It says, The Lord is. Whenever you get a something is, that's a definition of that person. That's a definition of that thing. Who is the Lord? What is the Lord? He tells you the Lord is, Yahweh is merciful and gracious. He's full of mercy and grace. That's just his nature. So when I mess up, it's his nature to clean me. When I run away from him, it's his nature to reel me back in because he's merciful and gracious. So why does he keep me around? Not because I'm this great automobile that never breaks. But because it's his nature to pimp his ride, <laughs> it's his nature to fix 
my sorry self into something else. And he gets joy the sorrier you are. More sorry you are, the more props he get. He says he takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Because how do you determine, like, whether somebody is good or not? Y'all watch, like I say, y'all had them old shows like Pimp My Ride where they took somebody's raggedy jalopy and then turned it into some super dope gangster mobile with all the speakers in it. The inside looked better than people's living rooms and stuff. Or y'all watch them um, home improvement shows on HGTV where they take these old raggedy houses, ugly house in the neighborhood, and turn it into this beautiful mansion and all that stuff. What makes those things so dope? To me, the best part is the before and after. When they show you, like, this is how it was before, and this is how it is now. Because you've seen nice houses before. You've seen nice cars before. And you can see them and just be like, all right, that's nice. But if you see how jacked up it was, that's when you're like, man, them people really went to work. And then the honor goes where? To whoever worked on that. To the craftsman to the designer, to the person who fixed that thing up, they get all the props and they sitting back out, yeah, look what I did. That's dope. I like the way that turned out. Kind of like God, when he made stuff back in the Garden of Eden, he saw it and said it was good. So when he's working on your little raggedy behind and my little raggedy behind <laughs> and all our messed upness, he's just polishing. He's waxing. He's grooming. He's molding. He's shaping. Why? So he can get the glory because the more jacked up you are, the more props and more glory he's going to get. Because if you came out the womb perfect, God wouldn't have nothing to do. They'd be like, big deal. And you would think the same thing. Big deal. I always had my stuff together. What I need you for? You know what I'm saying? But the fact of the matter is some of us get smacked around because some of us thought we was like that. You ask some people like, yeah, I've been a Christian my whole life and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I. <laughs> Alright, and then one day you take a piece of humble pie and you realize you ain't the person you thought you was and then you get all the way humbled, you bow down and you cry out to Christ for forgiveness because you understand you actually need his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness and his love. But this is dope. He says, for as far, verse 11, for as far as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I want y'all to get get this, like, this mental picture in your brain about as far as the east is from the west. Because I picture a globe when I think about this. And you get that thing, you can go along the equator. If you get, you know, that little halfway mark in the middle of your, of your big sphere that's called the earth. And if you go east... I don't, I don't know if that's east, really. I have no idea which direction I'm in in this building. But let's pretend that this is east right now. If you go east and keep going east, it's impossible for you to ever come in contact with west. Because you're just constantly going east. Same thing. If you go west, you never come in contact with east. Because it's just like one direction and that's just how it is. They're opposite. And Justin's thinking about the time when you can overlap, but it's still not east and west. East and west is still there. <laughs> it's still there. It's, they're, they're diametrically opposed to one another, and they never can collide because if east turns west, it becomes west and not east anymore. And this is what David is talking about God. He basically shoots 
Yo, Sin, I'm picturing one of them slingshots that he had with Goliath. But really, that was like one that Dennis DeMinis had. When you pull it back, I think he had one of these type of joints. So he slings that thing east and separates it as far as the west is. That's what he does to you and your sin. That's crazy. Just to get that mental picture. Because God is dope. And this is something that we need to cling on to. I'm sorry, Mom. Saying dope again. So, <laughs> I told y'all I'm stuck in 96. So, <laughs> knowing that the Lord is merciful and gracious, full of mercy, full of gra- uh, grace, and he says he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. And this is something hard for us to really grasp. Really hard to grasp. He's slow to anger. And he will not keep his anger forever. Sometimes when people find themselves in sin, you know what they do. This is like one of the most instinctively natural things for human beings to do. You find yourself in a sin and you go somewhere and you do like Adam and Eve Eve and go find some bushes and hide. You try to like hide from God or run away from God because you're ashamed of your sin. And then you remember how messy and how foolish you were or you are. And you get into all that. I'm unworthy stuff that I talked about before. That's what you get into. You're like, I'm messed up. And why would God want me? And I know he doesn't want me because I messed up. But we forget this about him. He says, neither will he keep his anger forever. That lets me know he ain't cool with you sinning. That's that's no way, no shape, form or fashion. Is he cool with that? However, he says he won't keep his anger forever. He don't do that. He gets over it (laughs) real quick. And what we need to do, if we find ourselves in sin ever, that's the time most we need to be running to the throne of grace. It says come boldly to the throne of grace. You rush yourself to that throne, hop up in your daddy's lap, and be like, my bad. I jacked up. And then you actually experience this great and merciful God. And we're going to look at uh, another example or an example of sometime this happened in the Bible. Let's go to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to explore a little bit. Just, I think this is probably one of the best examples of this in the Bible. And this is like exactly what you need to be doing if you find yourself in sin. Luke 7, we're going to start at 36 and probably take it to about the end of the chapter. Luke seven thirty six. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, which the, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him because she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said, Simon, I got something to say to you. And he says, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One of them owed 500 pence and the other one owed 50 pence. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now you tell me, which of them 
will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I stepped in here, have not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you didn't anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said unto her, Your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. This is cool. Because this woman gives you a template on what to do. She knew who she was. It doesn't specify what kind of sin she was in. But it seems like she was a known sinner. I don't know what she was out there doing. I don't know what her life was. It just says she was a sinner. She was somebody who didn't know God. She was somebody disobeying God. Somebody not connected to the Lord. But when she heard that Jesus was coming over this guy's house, a Pharisee, one of them super extra religified Jews, they know everything, do everything right, supposedly. She heard he was coming over. She said, I'm going to this party. You ain't keeping me from this party. Why? Because the master's there. The master's there. You're not keeping me from there. Sometimes we like to run away. We find ourselves in sin and we don't want to come to church no more. Because I ain't good enough. I'm going to get myself together. Then I'm going to show up. But she's like, nah, Jesus over there. I'm going to wherever he is. I'm finding myself in that place. I know I'm jacked up, but I'm finding Jesus. And she just don't go and like hang out in the back. Cause I know some people do it here sometimes. It's been on Wednesday nights and stuff. People will be out in that little nook over there. They'd be hiding out. So she, she ain't just camped out there out in the foyer. They'll sit in them little chairs by the front door and be listening. Cause you can hear throughout. And that's cool if you want to do that. But she didn't do that. Soon as she crossed the threshold. She comes behind him. I'm really trying to picture this. Says she came up behind him and started crying. She's weeping. And she weeps at the feet of Jesus and takes her hair and washes his feet. Now, we know way back in the day, it was just the custom of what you do when you walk in somebody's house because they're walking in sandals and there's no paved roads and stuff like that. So it's all dusty and everything out there. So it's kind of a custom that when you walk in somebody's house, there's water available and usually they might have a servant or the people of the house will come and wash the people's feet as they come in to get the dirt off their feet because you're walking in you're dusty and stuff i experienced a little bit of this in ethiopia they do hands not feet because when you come over they'll serve you some some bread and coffee or something like that and somebody will walk around with this little basin whatever they can find a little pot or something and put water all on your hands and stuff to get the dust off before you eat so it's kind of like that situation but she doesn't have any water because this ain't her house she came to the Pharisee's house. And remember what Jesus said. I came in here and you ain't bring me no water for my feet. This woman made some water. 
out of her eyes, out of her tears, she washed the feet of Jesus. And then she had in that little box, the little alabaster box. She had in that box some ointment, and it's like some smell-good stuff. <laughs> and so she just didn't wash him with her little salty tears, but then she put the ointment on it so, he's, so, so, so he can be smelling all sweet when he's walking around. And she said, Jesus says, this woman hadn't stopped since the time I walked in here. She hadn't stopped kissing my feet. She cleaned them up, made them smell sweet, and kissed the feet of Jesus. What is she doing? This is what we call worship. In the state of her deep sin, whatever it is, her obvious sin that everybody knows about, she chooses to make a beeline to Jesus. Not all prideful like she belongs there, but in the only posture that's acceptable, she bows down at his feet and she worships the king. She ain't even ask him for nothing. As far as I can tell, she didn't say nothing. She just walked in, bowed down, went to serving and worshiping God. You find yourself in sin, you run away from him. You run away from his people, you hide, put the fig leaves over your parts like Adam and Eve did. Forgetting he sees all, he knows all, you can't run from him. You can run from me. You can run from church folks, but you can't run from God. She understands this, so what does she do? She runs to him. And he says, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. We think somehow, some way, that if we come to God in our filth and our dirtiness, he's going to shun us and kick us out. Nah, he ain't going to do that. He's going to clean you up. He's going to forgive you and start cleaning you up. That's what he does when he forgives. He's going to clean you up. But it's fun. I want to point out this thing because he, he brought out this little thing. And I thought it was cool the way the Pharisee guy, he started thinking. It says he said within himself, he didn't say nothing. He said within himself, yo, if this guy is really a prophet, because he's trying to figure Jesus out still. He don't know who he is for real. So he's he inviting him over, kind of feeling him out. And he's like, if this guy is really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He noticed a sinner. And he'd tell her, get up off of, her, off of him or something like that. And then Jesus just started the conversation. Like, I knew, I know what you're thinking, bro. <laughs> I know it's in your head. This is dope how Jesus knows the heart of men. He did this several times in the Bible where guys just said stuff on the inside. And Jesus started addressing it. He was like, yo, there's a guy. People owe him money. One guy owes him 500. Another dude owes him 50. And he just determined to forgive both of their debts. And he said, who's going to love the creditor more? Who's going to love the bank man more? Says the one who owed him the most. Why? Because he was forgiven the most. Because the one who owed 50 is like, man, it's just 50, man. I could have got you that whenever, man. Ain't no big deal. You know what I'm saying? The dude with 500 was like, bro, I don't know, man. We might have been going to bankruptcy, man. We were stressed out about that debt. So, so, so he loved greater. And this is what this woman was doing. She loved greater. And sometimes when we have these cool testimonies, think about um, when you hear, I know Christians always get excited. Sometimes when you hear somebody's testimony and they're like an atheist or they come from like a strict Muslim family or I don't know, 
they're like a drug dealer or a prostitute or one of, you know, them serious bad sins that, that these people was living in. And we'll be like, wow, that's an amazing testimony because God changed these people. And we like to hear these stories like, man, this dude was gangbanging. He killed like 35 people and now he's serving God and all this stuff. And we're like, yeah, that's great. And the people point to it. It is great. It's dope. I like that. I like that. It's really dope. But people will point to it and say, look at how zealous and how on fire for God they are because they went through so much and God saved them so much. That's why they're so on fire for God. And that's why they love God so much. And they'll point to a passage like this to kind of back up what they're saying, what it comes from. Since they were forgiven for so much, that's why they love God so much. But really what it's a sly way to do is kind of say why they don't love God as much as that person. While they're not on such a hottest fire as that other person. Like this person's super zealous for God because God saved them from all that junk. But you know me. I'm kind of laid back and cool with my Jesus stuff because he ain't saved me from all that. You know, I grew up in church my whole life. I've been decent. I just lied a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just used to, you know, get a little drunk sometimes on accident. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just, I, you know what I'm saying? I, I just cuss out my wife every now and then. So it wasn't such a big deal, but we forget what James talked about. James says, if you offend in one part of the law, you've broken it all. If you offend in one part of the law, you've broken it all. Cause the same one who said, don't lie said, don't commit adultery. The same one who said don't commit adultery said thou shalt not kill. The one who said thou shalt not kill said don't be greedy. The one who said don't be greedy said you will have no other gods before me. That same law. So if you've broken one part of it, you've broken all of it. So what does that tell me? Because we got a couple commandments, Jesus said. We talk about them all the time around here. Love God with everything you got and love man as you love yourself. If I am to love God with everything I got, it's a necessity for me to realize just how foolish, wretched, and jacked up I was. Because I understand that I've been forgiven much. No matter who you are, if God has forgiven you, he's forgiven you much. Because your lie, when you was two years old and you just started talking and you figured out how to formulate words and you told your mama you, you ain't eat them cookies with crumbs all over your face, you were supposed to die. Right there. And then you grew up and been doing it for the last 30 years. Supposed <laughs> to been dead. <laughs> and once we catch the revelation that every little sin we do is just as if we've broken every single law and commandment of God, we have no choice but to do our reasonable service, which is to present ourselves a living sacrifice, bow down to Jesus at his feet, wash his feet with our tears, dry him with our hair, pick out these little pieces of wave I got going on and figure it out. Worship the king. Because he's forgiven us all much. So we should all be loving much with everything we got. And that's how we serve him. Not run away from him, but really understanding the weight and the gravity of your sin and your disobedience to God. And bow down before him, understanding that he's merciful, understanding that he's gracious, understanding that he won't keep his anger for a long time. 
Dosta. Sorry again. Turn to Micah, chapter 7. Micah, chapter 7. Just a couple of verses we're going to look at. Just going to look at, again, just a little bit of God's character and how he behaves and how he thinks about this stuff. Micah 7, 18. It says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardons iniquity, and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retains not his anger forever, because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is the part I really like about this. I like all this little piece right here. But we already talked about in verse 18 where it says he retains not his anger forever. So God's not always going to be angry with you. Why? It says because he delights in mercy. He gets a kick out of showing mercy. He really likes it. It's who he is. That's why he's merciful and he's gracious. It's a part of his nature. So please don't run away with him if you find yourself in sin. Run to him because he delights himself in that stuff. He really digs this. God is like begging, will you please come to me so I can have a ball by cleaning yourself up? (laughs) I like doing this. I really do. I'm not going to be angry. Any of y'all had, I I can't do it. So I'm going to ask y'all about it because I I didn't grow up with with a father in the house. I don't know what it's like, but I know how I do. Y'all ever been, um, like really afraid of your father or your mother? Because you did something bad and you know you jacked up. You're like, I know I messed up. And you get to shaking in your boots just thinking about what's going to happen when they get home. I don't know what you did. Threw the football in front of the TV or something. Broke the thing. I don't know what you did. But you did something real bad. And you just shaking in your boots. Like, dang, when mama get home, when daddy get home, something, I know I'm going to get it. And you just like terrified to fess up. Like, what happened? And then, has this ever happened? While you shaking in your boots, terrified about what's going to go down, you go to them all crying and scared and worried and all that stuff, and they don't do nothing but give you a big hug and tell you it's okay. And be like, that's straight. It's okay. I'm glad you told me. (laughs) It's just stuff. It's just a vase. It's just the TV. You messed up because you're a stupid little kid. It's fine. You're going to do that sometimes. And you'd be like, dang, that's it. <laughs> you'd be like, that's it. You just braced yourself for this horrible confrontation or this chastisement that was coming. And all mama did, all daddy did was give you a big hug and say it's all right. That's what I'm picturing God doing every time, every single time, because he delights himself in mercy. If you find yourself in sin, crawl up in daddy's lap and say, Lord, forgive me. And he's going to be like, that's all right. It's all right. We're going to clean that up and we're going to keep it moving. And then he got this other little, little, what's his face? This other little picture. I like these metaphors they throw out. In verse 19, he says, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You ever been out to the ocean or something or to a lake and use us like throwing rocks and stuff? Who knows where that stuff's going? All you know is once you throw it, you ain't going to see it no more. That's all you know. Once it leaves my hand and goes towards there and you hear that thunk, 
you know it's gone. Now, the bad side, I don't know, y'all be downtown on a riverboat or something, y'all be playing, trying to take selfies out there on the Harriet 2 or something, and drop your cell phone. What you know about that? That thing gone. It's a wrap. And that's just the Alabama River. This ain't the sea. This is what he does to your sins. It's gone. Dunk. It's gone. This is what he does to all of your sins. He really throws it in the sea. It's gone forever. It's like it's a wrap. That's dope. John chapter 8. Get another picture of this. I'm going to take it home after a couple more. John chapter 8. I'm going to take it from the top. Says Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had sat her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even into the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This is cool. And, of course, we're going to draw out the obvious stuff. It's like, what was these dudes doing in a situation where they was looking at somebody doing it? And where was the dude she was doing this with? I don't know if she was the married one or the unmarried party to this adultery. I don't know which side of the coin she was playing, but I know you can't commit adultery by yourself. So I don't I don't know, but for whatever reason, it was probably one of them jokers in the crowd. I don't know. I don't know. It was one of their homies. I I have no idea. But anyway, for whatever reason, they dragged this poor little girl out here. You know, she was doing wrong, and Jesus doesn't deny that. This is something that I I, I find interesting here, is that they brought him and said Moses said they pulling up the law. You're supposed to die for adultery. You get stoned for that, and that is the absolute truth. And it was tempting Jesus to see what he was going to do because they've been around Jesus for a while. He coming out with all this mercy and grace and all that stuff. Because John said earlier in uh, chapter one of this book, he says, from Moses came the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So they've been getting some of this grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. So they're like, well, the law said she need to be stoned. And we didn't got her after we had our peep show. We didn't dragged her out here and... <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do with her? 
And Jesus, and this is tripped out to me because I don't know what this is about. Dude just stoops down and is like, I don't know what he's, he's making like smiley faces or something. I don't, I don't know what he's doing down there playing in the dirt. But Jesus is playing in the dirt listening to these clowns. And he's like, all right, caught him off guard. Because he also told him, anybody come out here trying to change the law and stuff like that, y'all don't listen to this clown. So he found a way to show him what the law was really about. And he was like, all right, whichever one of y'all has no sin, be the first one to rock her. <laughs> Literally. Because he knows, because when you judge, you judge with righteous judgment. And the only person qualified to cast judgment on somebody is one without sin. The only person qualified to pass judgment and condemn somebody is somebody who is totally clean themselves. That's why Jesus is the righteous judge. And he and he alone has a hell to throw you in or a heaven to put you in. But he says, whichever one of y'all ain't got no sin, pick up the first rock. And he went back to doodling. He know all them jokes and heathens. <laughs> Absolutely, positively, he know what the hair on that baby's head gonna get touched. Cause that's why he just went to doodling. Wasn't even worried. Look up after he got the Mona Lisa on the ground. I still want to know what Jesus is doing, man. Ain't nobody taking no picture of that. I want to see what Jesus right. He probably signed it too, like JC at the bottom. But, <laughs> but he looks up and asks the woman, where they at though? Where are the people who, who condemned you? Where are the people who accused you? Then dragged yourself out here. Where they at? I told them they could go ahead and stone you if they was properly qualified. She look around, they, 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 they all gone, Lord. They all gone. And he gets up and the only person who is actually qualified to cast judgment and condemn her, he chose at this time. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. They ain't going to condemn you because they can't condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you because I'm full of mercy and I'm full of grace. My anger won't last forever and I delight in mercy. I know what you did. It's not okay. That's why he said go and sin no more. But he says I'm not going to condemn you. I forgive you. Get yourself up and go and sin no more. Proverbs. Got a couple, couple, three more, then we're going to open up for some questions. Proverbs 28. You can either turn or look. I got a couple one-versers that I'm going to do at the end. I think it's three of them. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, 28, 13 says, He that covers his sin will not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. He that covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Just want to clear up a couple things. Because it's a lot of folks out here doing some greasy grace, bad teaching. We understand that God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. But he also understands, and he wants you to understand, that it's not cool to stay in your sin. It's not okay. It is not okay. Pay attention to here. He says, whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy 
I don't go home to my wife. She don't, I don't know, she burned the biscuits or something, and I smack her. And I be like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to smack you. I ain't going to do that no more. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to smack you. I ain't going to do that no more. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to smack you. I ain't going to do that no more. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to smack you. I ain't going to do that no more. I think y'all got the picture by now. That's what some folks out here teaching is a Christian life. They talk about living a lifestyle of repentance, which basically means you sin every single day, all day, and you ask God to forgive you. Zero intention on turning yourself around and leaving that sin alone. That is a bunch of foolishness. That lady who was caught in adultery after Jesus got up from that Mona Lisa, after he got done putting the Sistine Chapel on the ground, he says, I don't condemn you, but he says, go and sin no more. He said that a couple times in the Bible. The other time he said it, it was the guy who he healed. And he said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. How many times y'all heard an altar call and a preacher ended with that? Go and sin no more. You hear him say stuff like, now you're going to mess up. Don't expect to just leave here and just be right. You're going to mess up. God forgive you. God is strong. God is powerful. God has grace. But he ain't strong enough to keep you. He's not strong enough to produce righteousness in you. I promise you, everything God requires you to do, he gives you the grace, gives you the power, gives you the ability to pull it off. He says, he that covers his sin will not prosper. So don't be walking around here acting like you ain't got none if you ain't got none. That's trash too. Let's not do that. Let's not pretend like we ain't got nothing if we got something. But if we do have something, he says, know that we have Jesus Christ, who's a propitiation for our sin. He's the advocate. And we run to him with everything we got. We bow down, we worship him, and what happens? We obtain mercy. And we confess. And we forsake our sins. First John 1 9. It says if we confess our sins. Same thing talking about confessing. If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's adding a little piece on there. If we confess our sins. He is faithful. Even when you're unfaithful. He is faithful. What is he faithful to do? Forgive us. And cleanse us. I like to do this story problem all the time. Because it's just fun. Let me see them keys right there. Good old story problem. Y'all follow me here. Y'all been to school a couple times before you dropped out. Y'all been to school a couple times. A couple times. And maybe y'all went more than me because I skipped a few times. By a few, I mean. Yeah. So, says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins. So that forgiveness part means he won't hold it against you anymore. So whatever the penalty was for your sin... He's not going to charge you with it. So he's not going to give you a whooping or whatever. He's going to forgive you. He's Don't worry about that. It's good. Just like those debts we talked about. The guy who owed the 500 and the guy who owed the 50. When the debt is forgiven, you don't have to pay it. It's done. So he forgave you for your sins. That means I'm not about to throw you in hell. Let's just go and simplify that. Forgive you for your sins. You ain't about to die and go to hell. But then the second part says he's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Miss Shah. 
You're going to help me out. Shout out my buddy. So Yokana's going to be God right here. You're going to pretend like you got for about two seconds or 15. I don't know how long it's going to take me, whatever. So these, these, these keys represent unrighteousness. I have keys. And if I confess that I have keys, God is faithful to forgive me for having the keys and he's going to cleanse me from all my keys. He's going to cleanse me from all my keys. I knew he was going to get there. Sha, how many keys do I have now? You sure? I ain't got some of them? Because he says he's going to cleanse me from how many of my keys? All of them. So if God got all of them, how many I got? He makes you righteous. He doesn't just forgive you and send you on your way the same way, but he cleanses you and makes you righteous. I know that's extra simple and extra babyish with all this, but he takes them all away. He takes all the sin away. He cleanses you because that's what he does. He's dope. Because he's still not going to allow you to live in your unrighteousness. He's not going to allow you to live in your unrighteousness. That's not cool. But who does the cleansing? He does it. Because you thinking I got to clean myself up and come to God. He's like, just bring your nasty self to me. Bow down and worship me. Confess your junk and I will clean you. You will obtain mercy if you come to me. Stop hiding and come to me. Hebrews chapter 10 says, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. This is cool. I know y'all hear me say it all the time. It's like one of my favorite parts of the Bible. I got a lot of favorite parts of the Bible. But this one is really cool because I really can't grasp how you're able to do this. Because I've forgiven a lot of people for a lot of stuff. And I can tell you what I forgave them for. Because I remember that junk. (laughs) I remember when that girl cheated on me and had that baby by that other dude and said it was mine. I remember that junk. (laughs) I remember that junk. I remember that junk. I forgive you. I ain't mad no more. But I remember that junk. I went through. <laughs> I went through. I remember that junk. Y'all looking like this man crazy. No, I ain't crazy. I'm real than a mug. I remember that junk, man. That's some jacked up stuff. I remember that dude who said, hey, let me hold, 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 uh, such and such amount of money till Friday. I'm gonna pay you as soon as I get paid. I ain't seen no check since. No check. No cash app, no bag of nickels, you know, running to them in the street. They hiding from you. It's <laughs> all good, man. I ain't tripping. But they know they guilty. So what do they do? They the ones hiding. They the ones calling Big Mama before Thanksgiving dinner and be like, Jay going to be there? Because <laughs> Jay going to be there. I ain't going to come because I know I owe that joker. They doing that. Why do you do that? Because you're ashamed of your sin. God know you messed up. Just take it to him. Bow down. And what he says is, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. I remember those those good mob movies back in the day. The Goodfellas and Scarface and all that stuff. Justin, remember that, John? 
And <laughs> the mobsters, good old New York Italian dudes, they used to always say this thing. They used to be like, forget about it. <laughs> That's what God's really doing to your sin. He's like, forget about it. That's like really what God's doing in these situations. He's not like the, what's you call it, out there at the, the police station or whatever they do, the Department of Motor Vehicle. That's what it is. When you, when you got pulled over for speeding that one time and then your insurance go up. Why? Because they keep a record of your wrongdoing. They keep points. They like tallying this stuff. You jacked up and we keeping scope. God ain't like them people. He ain't keeping score. You come to him. Peep this. It says in the Proverbs, he says, you'll obtain mercy if you confess and forsake. John says, he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he forgives you. It's gone. I ain't going to hold it to your account. I'm going to clean you so you ain't even got the stuff on you no more. And then in Hebrews, he says, I'm going to forget it ever happened. That's deep. God is doing all this stuff, forgiving, cleansing, and forgetting. That's what he does to your sin. He ain't bringing it up. So if I go to God and be like, yo, remember that junk Justin did to me? God going to be like, nope, what you talking about? Justin ain't did nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. Because he forgot about it. He separated as far as the east is from the west. He threw it in the sea. Dunk. <laughs> and he forgot about it. He literally forgot about this stuff. That is dope. Understand the depths of his grace, the depths of his mercy, the depths of his forgiveness. If you got sin, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness and forget about it. So what we need to do, instead of running from him, we need to be like that woman with the alabaster box. Bow down, worship him, praise him, confess our sins, accept his mercy, accept his forgiveness. Let him clean you up. Let him fix you. Let him work on you. Let him pimp your ride. <laughs> Let him flip or flop you. Let him <laughs> fix her up or you. Let him give you an extreme makeover sin edition. Let him fix yourself. <laughs> Let him fix yourself. Because he delights in mercy. Anybody got any questions? Um, I wanted to know why is it that some people Speaking about me in particular. <laughs> Some people. <laughs> Struggle to accept the forgiveness of God, even when they know everything that we read about. Um, why do some people, speaking about you in particular, find it difficult to accept his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, and all of that? A lot of it deals with faith. In that knowing the word doesn't necessarily produce following the word. Um, Zinc talks about that a lot. Just knowledge of it. And it comes out of, if I, if I can be real a little bit, it comes out of lack of relationship with God. Because once you know who he is and you, you see a pattern throughout just living with him and being with him. You see this pattern of forgiveness. You see this pattern of mercy. You see this pattern of grace. You're more and more likely to accept it and run to him in those times. But the fact that I'm afraid of him 
the fact that I'm quivering and shaking shows that I ain't spent a lot of time with him because it shows that I don't know him to that level. I don't know him as the merciful God. I know about the God they told me about in church. who's going to strike me down with lightning and swallow the ground up, swallow me up in the ground and send me to hell whenever I do wrong and all that stuff. So we're trying to do right. We're living our life trying to do right. So God don't cast us into hell. Instead of knowing the loving, graceful, long-suffering, patient, merciful God who delights in cleaning you up. Because when I got something messed up, let's just say, for example, Mr. Aaron. Mr. Aaron, I go I go and, and get my hair lined up by Mr. Aaron. When my stuff started looking bushy around the edges, I got this crazy widow's peak thing. Junk be going on. I got all kind of, it's a whole art project trying to cut my hair. So when I see this stuff getting all out of whack, I go to Aaron. And I sit down in Aaron's chair. He put this little cape on me and the man go to work. And I can tell by what he's doing. He's he, he's spending a lot of time and energy and precision and delicacy. And he's really taking joy, taking pleasure in doing his work. It's not a bother to him. He actually digs doing this. He really likes doing this. And I see him when I'm waiting. I see him doing other people's stuff. I see him. He get the folks in. He, he had mouth halfway over. <laughs> and <laughs> turn his head sideways. He stopped talking for a little bit because they be running their mouth in the barbershop. When he really getting into it, he got that fade going. He, he hitting the little, he got the comb on one thing. He just sitting there. This man is focused on cleaning this man little nappy raggedy head up. And he delights in his craft. God delights in his craft. His craft as the creator is making things new. That's his craft. That's what he does. That's his work. Putting a center in the hands of God is like putting a basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Putting a center in the hands of God. <laughs> it's like putting a piece of wood and a saw and, and a hammer and a chisel in the hand of a carpenter or a builder. That's what he does. He makes people brand new. He says, if anybody's in Christ, he's a brand new creature. All the old stuff has passed away and behold, all have become new and all is of God. He's like, come to me. Let me work on you. Let me make you brand new. This is what I do. I'm about that life. <laughs> this is what I do. I'm God. I fix people. I forgive people. I wash people. I cleanse people. This is what I've been doing since the beginning of time. Since Adam bumped his head, I found a way to make it brand new. And I'm going to keep doing that. And when we're afraid of him, when we're scared of him, it's because we don't know him on that level. And what do we need to do to get to know him on that level? We do like that woman with that alabaster box. Every opportunity we get, even though we're crying, even though we're weeping, even though we're feeling guilty, even though we feel condemned, even though everything seems wrong, we break, break through all those negative emotions and we cling on to the feet of Jesus with everything we got as if our life depended upon it. Because it does. And the more we experience that grace, the more we experience that mercy, the more we experience that forgiveness and cleansing, the more we trust him because we'll know him after that matter. That makes some sense. All right. Anybody else? <laughs>